Great. Well, it's so lovely to be here. Um, thanks for choosing to come to this seminar. I know that it is not um, maybe the easiest uh, topic to consider around domestic violence when home is where the hurt is. Um, I don't know if you, you probably don't know who I am. I'm Ruth Cook and I work for an organisation called International Justice Mission. Uh, we tackle issues of violence all over the world, um, uh, particularly in developing world countries. I'll introduce one of our projects a little bit later. Um, and then we've also got with us, we're really privileged to have Judith Gillespie here today, um, who uh, spent a, a long career in uh, the RUC and then the PSNI. Um, but she is really uh, passionate about this topic and so she's really pleased to come and share. Well, uh, get to know her a little bit later through a short interview and then um, Judith will uh, bring us some of the the facts and figures and the reality around this topic and uh, particularly in Northern Ireland. So what why are we doing? Um, I always put a slide of myself in and then I wonder why because then you just have you and the slide and it's just too much um, and there's Judith um, but so <laughs> let's let's focus on Judith that's much nicer. Um, but what's the vision behind this? So, so I uh, was considering the topic of radical hospitality um, and thinking about what seminars uh, would, would fit with that and would, and would work and would be relevant. And, and I guess that topic is, you know, it's challenging, isn't it? Because we've been shown this radical hospitality by God who took us in, who, who, um, who Jesus uh, left all that he knew to bring us into his family. And so in response, we reach out and we show that radical hospitality, hospitality to others. But it really struck me that actually for many, for some people in our world, home is a really scary place to be. Rather than a place of welcoming, it is threatening. Rather than peaceful, it's full of tension. Rather than love, it has fear. And so what is our role then as Christians and as the church in response to that? We can't ignore it. We've got to consider it and then think about, well, what is our response? And so in this seminar, we'll look at the reality of the situation, both home and abroad. Um, we'll hear from Judith, who's really knowledgeable on the topic, particularly for this country. And we'll consider some... Oh, thank you so much. That's great. And we'll consider some really practical steps then for uh, us as Christians and churches and how we respond. As I've been doing a little bit of research, I've been surprised by what I've learned. And um, whenever we talk about domestic violence, this is what we are talking about. Essentially, a pattern of behavior which is ca categorized by the exercise of control and the misuse of power by one person over another within an intimate relationship or a family. Um, and this definition struck me because an international justice mission, justice is our middle name, obviously. And so we talk about justice and injustice quite a lot. We look at God's word to see what what that really means because what is unjust to me what comes to my mind is probably different from what comes to your mind we bring quite a subjective view to that but the definition that we use for injustice is this uh, when when a person abuses their power over another to take from them the good things that God has for them their life their liberty their dignity the fruits of their love and labor so that idea of the abusive power um is often uh, we would see as unjust and so that we can see that then in the definition of domestic violence that it's when someone who has more power for whatever reason it might be that they're physically stronger maybe they have more influence maybe they have more resources um, and they're abusing that over someone else and so it's unjust it's an injustice and we know how God feels about that 
It's often frequent and persistent. Um, it can include violence by uh, a child, a son or a daughter, or any other person who has a close or blood relationship with the victim. And what really surprised me were some of the statistics that I came across. And Judith is going to give us a little bit more enlightenment around these later on. But these struck me. So uh, in between April 2018 and March 2019, um, there were 31,682 domestic abuse incidents recorded by the PSNI, which was an increase of 6% on the year before. So that doesn't necessarily mean that it's grow- it is grown by that, but it's that more people are reporting it. So we can't ignore it because the numbers are high. And then the number of domestic abuse crimes also recorded uh, increased by over 11% on the previous year. Domestic abuse crimes represented 16% of all police recorded crime which again was an, a huge increase on the year before. So we can't ignore the issue. Um, and if, these, if, if there are these many people reporting incidents of domestic violence, domestic abuse, domestic crimes, it's likely that some of these people belong in our churches. It's likely that some of these people are sitting beside us in the pews. And actually we have heard stories of that. Um, and anecdotally that we that that is happening and also that at times the attitude of people in church or churches isn't always helpful and um, because we don't know necessarily how best to deal with these things so it's for all these reasons that we felt it really important to address this issue this morning so we want our churches to be places of safety places of welcome uh, to be knowledgeable about the reality of what's going on in the world And that's all because it's a reflection of who God is. Uh, We know that our God is just. We're told in the Bible in Isaiah, I, the Lord, love justice. And we're told that he hates injustice, which we've looked at as the abuse of power. God hates it when the stronger abuse their power over the weaker. I use Psalm 10 quite a lot in my job. Um, You know, I'm talking about slavery and violence. Psalm 10 is just such a realistic picture of what people are capable of. And it paints, it's it's quite difficult reading, actually. It's all about the wicked person who um, lies in wait for the innocent and abuses the the weaker and um, uh, the helpless, uh, who drags them off, who murders even. Um, And there's a good line in it as well, which I thought was interesting in light of today about um, how the, the, the wicked person or that person says, um, God doesn't see, nobody knows what I'm doing. He covers his face and he doesn't see. And this issue that we're talking about is so, isn't it? It's, it's behind closed doors. We, do, we don't often see it. Um, and so the reality of this psalm is so stark to me, but of course it also goes on to paint a wonderful picture of a God that we can trust in. In verse 14, it says, but you, God, do see the trouble of the afflicted. You consider their grief and you take it in hand. Our God sees what happens behind closed doors. It is not um, invisible to him. He is very much aware of it. And he doesn't just see it. He takes it in, he takes it in hand. He takes action. Our God is a God of action. Um, and there's an interesting line uh, in verse 15, break the arm of the wicked man. And sometimes when I'm in a church, it feels really uncomfortable to read that. It's a little bit, it's aggressive and it's, it's maybe we just feel uncomfortable. Um, and of course, we don't necessarily mean break somebody's arm, but it's about taking away their ability to, to hurt others, taking, calling them to account. Um, and so actually, that's an important aspect to remember. 
And of course, we know that God uses us, doesn't he? He chooses to partner with us in the world. And so when we read this psalm and we say, yes, God, thank you. I'm so glad that you see the trouble of the afflicted. I'm so glad that you take it in hand. Actually, there's a role for us to play in that at times. And that role might be a listening ear. That role might be signposting, but we cannot ignore that we have a role. Uh, just before I hand over to Judith, I wanted to um, just highlight a project that we have in Uganda. So in, uh, for a long time in Uganda, we were working on the issue of land theft from widows and orphans. So a woman's husband dies and often the wider community just come in and take her land and her home, often by force. So we've worked on that for a long time. But of course, through that, we've been able to get some insight into uh, life beyond that as well. And actually, statistics in Uganda... The Uganda Bureau of Statistics found that approximately 70% of women and girls between the ages of 15 and 49 have experienced some form of abuse from their spouse or their partner. 70%. Isn't that absolutely it's insane? It seems insane to us. So in 2018, this is quite recent, we just we started a pilot project in Gulu, which is up in the north, um, and to address this problem. It's a really big thing to ask uh, women to come forward, to tell their story in a, in a community, in a society where uh, domestic violence is very acceptable, where their, even their church leaders are saying things like, well, if you, if you, what are you doing to provoke your husband? If you wouldn't annoy him, he wouldn't do that. So to come forward and even to say, I want to prosecute is such a big thing. It really takes such courage, but we have seen that it's starting to slowly work. And I wanted to tell you about Betty, who was 30 years old. She's younger than me, a mother of three. Her first husband actually was violent towards her. Um, and so later in life, she got married again to, to another man, Ojok. Um, but he threatened her life repeatedly. He punched her in the face. Um, he broke into her friend's home and robbed it when she fled there for safety. And so there would usually be very little hope for somebody like Betty uh, because how would she ever secure justice? The issue is so accepted, it's so normative. Um, even going to the police, she might not feel that confident. But she was really determined. And so she went to the police and the police came to us because they knew that we would be able to help walk with Betty through this process. And we'd be doing a lot of work with the, with the police. And so Ojok was arrested, which is a really huge thing. And he's been charged with uh, grievous harm against her. And so we're really determined that people like Betty will know their value, will know that what's happening to her is not okay, will know that she's worth fighting for and worth defending, and that she can have a life free from that sort of violence. So I'd love to welcome up Judith Gillespie. Uh, for a moment, I'm going to ask her a couple of questions uh, first, and then we're going to hand over to her. Judith, if you'd like to join me. First of all, thank you so much for being here. You maybe are slightly taller than me, but we'll see about the mic. We'll see if we can work it out. Um, and I know that you uh, retired in 2014 from your role in the PSNI. Um, can you tell us what you've been up to since then? Sunning yourself, maybe? No? No, that's not true. Okay, thanks very much, Ruth. And thank you for the gift of your time to listen um, this morning about this very important subject. Um, first of all, I'm not retired. I'm in my second career. Okay, um, so I, I'm, I'm keeping very busy, and since I left PSNI in March 2014, I've been working on various projects. I'm a member of the Garda Policing Authority in the Irish Republic, um, and one of the key issues down there is increasing 
the reports of domestic abuse. So just as Ruth has said, because reports are increasing doesn't mean necessarily that incidents are increasing. It's just people are coming forward and reporting more. Um, but what have I been doing? Um, some consultancy, some international work in the Middle East, um, work in, in Dublin with the guards, uh, work with Marie Curie, which I'm very passionate about as well, and work within my own church in Bangor in Trinity Presbyterian. Just have to give it a plug there. <laughs> Uh, and it's recorded too, so that's there for posterity. Um, and why do you feel so passionately about this issue? Whenever I started to think about it, someone said to me, you must get Judith Gillespie to be part of this. And why is that? Um, from my early police career, when I joined the RUC in 1982, when I was four, um, <laughs> they, it always struck me that the police dealing with domestic abuse was not necessarily in those days a priority and that's speaking very frankly and I'm sure if anybody in the room was in the police or, or is in the police will understand what I'm talking about. Back in 1982 there were other more pressing priorities perhaps and quite often we would have left what were then in those days called family rows we would have driven away from those family rows with a very unsatisfactory resolution to what was happening in homes. And I never felt comfortable about that. And I was so delighted as time wore on and as we police officers became more and more aware of the impact of domestic abuse, how dealing with it became much more effective, working in partnership with other agencies, because it's not something the police alone would deal with. Um, But now we are in a very different place to what we were in in 1982, but there's still a journey to go. You know, it's not perfect yet, but we've travelled a long way. Okay, well, can you join me in welcoming Judith along? And again, thank you so much for being here. Well, good morning again, everybody, and and I really do appreciate your interest in this really um, challenging, complex, um, and real issue in in our societies and in our homes. Uh, And I am conscious, as Ruth and Elaine have said, that in in a group of this size, by the law of averages, there will be people who have either some direct or indirect experience of domestic abuse. So I... I hope I talk with sensitivity in that regard uh, and, and prayerfully as well as a Christian. Um, so let me indulge me for a moment in looking back because uh, a few months ago we celebrated the 75th anniversary of women in policing in Northern Ireland, uh, which was a lovely event. And just a couple of weeks ago, we celebrated the 100th anniversary of women in the Metropolitan Police in London, um, which was a a lovely event too in Westminster Abbey. Um, And just two weeks ago, we celebrated the 60th anniversary of women in Angarda Síochána, because they just started to join in 1958-59. And when there was a debate about women joining the police service in the Irish Republic, there were some who weren't that keen on the idea believe it or not. And as women, the the membership of uh, females across police services has increased, guess what? The awareness and sensitivity towards sexual crime and domestic abuse has also increased. Now, it's not just about women in the police, but it's certainly part of the the answer. 
and in the debate in the Doyle in the Irish Parliament, there was an Irish TD who, who proffered this very insightful view. So this independent TD, Frank Sherwin, made the extremely helpful suggestion about female recruits. While recruits should not be actually horse-faced, they should not be too good-looking. They should be just plain women and not targets for marriage. Now, isn't that amazing? Um, that that's A public representative should express such a view in 1958, which I'm guessing is within the lifetime of some people in this room. Um, so where I'm coming from, and Ruth asked me what makes me so passionate about this subject, respect for your fellow man and woman is at the center of all of this. Uh, and power and control are at the center of domestic abuse and a lack of respect for a partner, for a wife or a husband. Domestic abuse can affect both men and women. But I am chiefly talking about women today, but it boils down to attitudes and respect. And respect starts with our throwaway remarks that we make in church, in organizations, uh, in speaking with young people. You know, that's where it starts. So please try and remember to be respectful uh, at all times. Even if people differ in view from you, respect their view. So just going through very quickly because time doesn't allow me to talk about all of these things in detail, but violence against women can take many, many forms. Um, and I'm listing some of them here. Femicide, rape, female genital mutilation. There isn't time to go into that today, but it's a huge and growing issue Reproductive coercion, you know, forcing a woman to have a baby against her will. Forced abortion, sterilization, forced marriage, forced prostitution, modern day slavery. Honor-based violence in many cultures. It's acceptable to uh, assault violently or indeed kill women who have dishonored the family name. Uh, sexual assault, domestic abuse and violence, which I'll focus on in a moment. Coercive and controlling behavior. Not all domestic abuse involves physical or sexual assault. I'll come back to that in a moment. Sexual harassment, threats, intimidation, stalking, and of course nowadays, online abuse as well. So it takes many different forms. So what exactly is domestic abuse? Well, Ruth has given us a definition from the previous strategy, um, and this is the the current strategy, of course, in the absence of justice and health ministers, this strategy isn't going to change very much. But at the moment, this is the, the definition of domestic abuse. Threatening, controlling, coercive behaviour, violence or abuse, psychological, virtual, physical, verbal, sexual, financial or emotional, inflicted on anyone, irrespective of these um, characteristics, by a current or I say I have a typo there, current or former partner or family member. Now let me just talk a little bit about coercive and controlling behaviour. Not all domestic abuse involves physical or sexual violence. It can be very insidious, uh, coercive, controlling behaviour. And let me give you an example. There was a, a woman who came to report um, this type of behaviour. And an example that she gave was... Every time she went to get her hair cut, her partner accompanied her. And her hairdresser said to her, isn't it lovely that your partner's so supportive and takes you here every time and sits and watches me cutting your hair? And she said, that's because he wants to make sure I get it cut in the style that he wants. 
Now, I know that might sound incredible, but that is a true story. Imagine that someone won't even let you go to the hairdresser and get your hair cut in whatever style you want. They sit and watch the hairdresser get your hair cut in the style that he demands. And there are lots of other instances where financial control, a woman can't have her own phone, uh, she can't have access to money or a bank account, even um, deciding where and when she's going to sleep. This type of thing um, is coercive and controlling behaviour, and yet it mightn't leave any physical or evidential signs that are obvious. So examples, continual undermining of self-confidence, you're useless you're worthless, you're stupid, constantly, constantly drip, 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 all the time, undermining her self-confidence, or indeed his self-confidence. This is not unique to women. Uh, It's more common to have female victims, but it's not unique to women. Verbal abuse, insults and threats, threatening the family pet, threatening the children, threatening friends and neighbours. Uh, destruction of property, destruction of property that has sentimental importance, uh, mother's wedding ring, you know, this type of thing that might have really, really close sentimental importance. Uh, maybe not intrinsic value, but very, very sentimentally important. Controlling behaviour such as isolation from friends and family. So moving away to a different part of the country where perhaps you have less access to friends, this is very common in coercive and controlling behaviour. So isolating someone perhaps from their church, saying, what are you doing going to that church? You don't want to be going there. Um, Not letting her out um, to to visit friends and family. Uh, Even, as I said, not allowing her access to the phone. When she has access to the phone, trawling through who she's been ringing, uh, looking at her texts, looking at her emails, all of that. Uh, Control over money, phone, personal items, clothes, food, transport, sleep and stalking, you know, watching her every movement. There was uh, another instance uh, I became aware of of a young woman from South Armagh area. Um, who reported that her partner expected her to be standing at the bus stop uh, when he got off the bus from work. Uh, He didn't tell her which bus he was getting, of course, so she had to be there waiting for him for hours in the rain, and if she wasn't there when he got off the bus and he got home, he would beat her. So all sorts of really controlling, coercive behaviour that is really unhealthy, It can happen to anyone. It knows no boundaries. And when I say it can happen to anyone, that means it can happen to people who are Christians, who are regular church attenders, and indeed those who are perpetrators of domestic abuse can also be Christians and regular church attenders. So this is about accepting the reality and believing the unpalatable and believing the unbelievable that it is not something that affects people in public sector housing. It's not something that affects people with drink or, or alcohol or drug problems. It is people who, affects, who are across all strata of society, regardless of these characteristics. And it also involves police officers. It involves professionals in the criminal justice system, both as victims and perpetrators. I have known both in my police career, Um, And it is very important as a police service that you hold internal 
people to account as well, not just those who are not in uh, the police service. So Ruth has given you some facts and figures already, so I'll, I'll, I'll whiz through these very quickly. In the time that I've stood up here, police will probably have been called to a domestic incident um, every 17 minutes and a domestic crime every 37 minutes. Um, and domestic abuse is at its highest level since records, since comparable records began. Uh, and that is not to say that it is increasing in incidents. It's definitely to say that more people are coming forward to report. So this is an issue that has been a societal problem for generations, but we've become more and more aware of it, and more people are coming forward to report it to the police. Uh, and that's a good thing. Um, it's good that uh, people feel empowered to do that. We know it's still underreported, and we know that six people, usually women, every year are killed by a partner or former partner. And indeed, if you look at the United Kingdom statistics, one woman is killed every four days by a partner or former partner. Let me just repeat that again. One woman is killed every four days by a partner or former partner. So if people tell you that this is, oh, you don't want to get involved in that, or indeed in the police service that this isn't real policing, surely we should let these people sort out their family issues themselves. Well, actually, what you're doing is preventing homicide. It's homicide prevention. It's real cutting-edge, hard-edge stuff. Um, so please do bear that in mind. One in four women and one in nine men will experience domestic abuse in their lifetime and one in five children and young people will have lived with this issue. So when you're working with young people in church youth groups, please, please be very aware of that. By the law of averages, some of the children that you're dealing with will be living in a home where they're fearful, where violence is an everyday occurrence and they're witnessing this and living with it and really frightened. So please be aware of that. And the cost of domestic abuse to the Northern Ireland economy. Conservative estimate, £674 million per year. That's the cost to emergency services, to A&E, um, the lost revenue for people taking time off sick from work. If you are an employer, also you need to be aware that not always when people phone in sick is it the reason that they're giving it could be uh, an issue of domestic abuse. So again, making your workplace a safe place for people to come forward and disclose domestic abuse is very important too. One-fifth of all recorded crime, 28% of all violence, um, and you can see most of the victims are female and most of the perpetrators are male. And actually not that many end up with a prosecution in the courts, as you can see there. Um, Ruth referred to the strategy, um, the Northern Ireland strategy, which is still in place, is all about a partnership, joined-up approach to ensuring that victims have appropriate services and that perpetrators are held to account. Uh, as an example of that, and it's a partnership between health and justice, I don't know if any of you have heard of a centre in Antrim Area Hospital called the Rowan Centre, um, which is a... Um, specific place built with victims of sexual abuse and domestic violence in mind uh, and you can go there if you have been a victim 
you can have uh, a medical examination, you can have appropriate forensic uh, samples taken and stored for up to seven years. So if you come forward and disclose sexual abuse or domestic abuse, you can have statements taken, you can get the treatment that you need. And if you don't feel strong enough to come forward at the time, you can still come forward in any time up to seven years after disclosing. And that is a really, really important facility um, for victims of both sexual crime and domestic abuse. So the very practical question, what can we as churches, as Christians, as communities, what can we do about this issue that is among us? Well, awareness is the key. And you're all now, I hope, a little bit more aware of the issue than you might have been when you came in here this morning. Uh, so your awareness can help. Don't do nothing Please don't do nothing. If you think something is going on that is causing distress to a family, causing distress to a victim or to children, the very least I can advise you to do is to phone the domestic abuse helpline that Women's Aid run uh, and disclose it to uh, your child protection um, officer within your church organization or within the organization that you work with. Please, please don't do nothing. And we also know that one of the most dangerous times for a woman in an abusive relationship is when she decides that she's going to leave her partner. That's very often when very serious abuse or indeed femicide will happen. So, you know, you need to be conscious of that as well, that when someone comes forward to disclose domestic abuse to you, whether it's, in, whether it's just as a friend or a family member or in your role as a Christian in a church, this is a really critical time for the victim and you need to do the right things. Refer her to the, the, the right agencies, whether that be police, uh, whether it be uh, women's aid or indeed any of the voluntary agencies in, in your area. Please do not do nothing. Um, don't blame the victim. Don't ask the question, you know, well, you know, you must have done something to deserve this. Even if the perpetrator is a really plausible pillar of society in your community because very often it's the plausible folk who can be the most insidious perpetrators of domestic abuse. So please don't blame the victim. Be aware of and support local charities, Women's Aid, um, Men's Advice Line. There are lots of practical ways in which you can support these charities. I know, for example, seroptimists have a scheme whereby they donate um, new towels, toothpaste, toiletries, uh, even school uniforms to women's aid shelters. Uh, and, and that is something that victims, when they come in, they're, they're totally distraught. They don't have the basics with them. And to have a fresh towel, um, pajamas, uh, toothpaste, uh, shampoo, all of that, that means a lot. So there are practical ways in which you can donate those things to your local uh, shelters. Talk about this at home in your families and talk about it in church groups. You know, with young people, what does a respectful relationship look and feel like? Where are the boundaries? Where, when do you say enough, stop? Um, those conversations are really, really important um, to understand. Think about the Safe Place initiative, the Safe Church initiative. 
where you display stickers that show people that you're aware of domestic abuse, that if someone comes forward and discloses that you will signpost them to the correct agencies and that you will have some understanding of what's going on. Pray about the issue. So important, and I know we're going to do that perhaps later with Elaine. Know that there are many victims who have been helped. There are lots of services out there, and victims can move on and lead uh, normal, effective, productive, happy and healthy, safe lives if they get the right help. And finally, remember that your reaction could help save a life. That's what we're talking about, folks. And um, Ruth started with a really um, challenging quote from the Bible, and I just want to finish with this. So remember, in everything you do, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. So put yourself in the, the shoes of the victim and do the right thing in signposting them to the agencies that they need so that they can have a, understand a loving Christian response to what is a really complex problem. Thank you. So um, I don't know how you feel right now, if maybe that's all very interesting. It's a little bit, it's hard, isn't it? Um, And maybe you feel a bit overwhelmed and think, oh gosh, the responsibility is huge, you know, and and we are not suggesting that you um, become the police or that you take on the role of counsellor if you don't have those skills, not at all. What we are suggesting is that we take on our appropriate role, um, which is people of who are aware and who know and who can signpost people to the right places. I think we would agree on that. Um, Judith mentioned there the Safe Place or Safe Church initiative. So I've been in touch with Onus Training. The website's up here. Uh, www.onustraining.co.uk and this is an organisation which I believe has come out of Women's Aid and some other things and they um, uh, have they're all about uh, domestic the issue of domestic violence they have really specific training packages for churches um, there's different levels that you can do, um, but the Safe Church is the one that they would really recommend. Now, it does come with a cost, so that's something to bear in mind, um, but there is sometimes funding available through um, police and community safety partnerships and from other bodies, um, so don't let the cost put you off. Um, but they, I was in touch with them, and they were so happy to know that we were highlighting the issue and happy to know that there might be churches that would, be, would want this kind of training. So it gives... Um, kind of more in-depth training on signposting that sort of thing and on the appropriate role that you and your church and your church indeed could play and it involves the stickers and different kinds of things that um, Judith also mentioned so I think that's a really practical step and I think we've got to consider educating now we have been educated somewhat so let's how do we roll that out in our churches and could we do a session like this um, in uh, involving PSNI or involving um, IJM or involving women's aid that sort of thing could we start with that kind of education 
Um, prayer is so crucial. Um, we have a, an IGM, we have a Sunday uh, called Freedom Sunday in September, which is all about violence, particularly slavery, but violence more generally. And so we're asking churches on that day to highlight issues of violence and to pray against them. And so if you want to be involved in that, I have some um, flyers up at the front and where you can get more information. And as I was considering all of this, I was also thinking about a challenge for each of us um, in our churches. It's very easy uh, for us to go on a Sunday and then just to walk away. But if that's what we're doing, then we're not really going to know what's going on in people's lives, are we? We're not really going to be in the position to get insight or indeed to ask deeper questions. And so are we, let's challenge ourselves, are we developing depth of relationship um, in our churches uh, through uh, uh, smaller Bible studies, home groups, women's studies, men's studies, um, discipleship relationships. And I think that's a really key part of this that we develop. We get to know people better so that people are more able to be honest about the challenges that they're facing. I think that is something that we could all do. Um, I think we've got time for some questions. Uh, So please feel free and if you ask a question, we'll maybe you just need to repeat it into the mic then um, for the recording. I think maybe most people would have heard that, but basically um, the question is, well, whenever it's a child makes a disclosure, then we have lots of rules and guidelines in place. But whenever there's an adult who tells you something, what are our obligations there? Uh, well, as I said, first and foremost, never do nothing. And ideally you would support the woman herself to go and disclose to um, to the police ideally but first and foremost perhaps to women's aid or somewhere where she can actually have professional support to go to the criminal justice system but the thing is not every woman wants to go to the criminal justice system so uh, many just want the abuse to stop and they want their partner to confront the abuse and perhaps go through uh, one of these programs run by probation service or NSPCC. So it's it's complex and not everybody wants to go to the police. Um, so ideally you would per- try and persuade her to go and speak to Women's Aid or speak to NSPCC or speak to uh, you know a supportive agency, but don't do nothing. And, and if she won't go, then I would phone the Women's Aid helpline and, and describe the circumstances and ask for their advice. But don't do nothing. Um, I have a question. I was wondering about um, the whenever there is not uh, outward violence, but it's more the course of control and things that Judith mentioned. And in that sort of scenario, in your experience, do people, victims, do they not realise that it's domestic violence often? And whenever, if they are told that it is, is that a relief or is that actually very difficult to accept? Yeah, coercive control rarely starts at a high level. It starts with small things like um, not, letting, um, not letting her go out, not letting her go out on a Friday and Saturday night, then it becomes a Thursday, Friday and Saturday. You know, it grows insidiously. And it's like boiling a frog, you know, if you put a frog in a saucepan of cold water and turn the temperature up gradually, it won't hop out. But if you put it into the boiling water immediately, it'll hop out. Do you understand what I'm saying? So it comes to the point where the woman really thinks this is normal. This is the way married life is or this is the way it is when you have a partner. Um, and, And actually, this is his way of expressing love. You know, being really jealous of me talking to anybody. 
Um, and, and then when they they speak perhaps to other women who are in uh, more healthy relationships, then they realize, gosh, this is not a way of expressing love. So yes, very often it is a relief. It's it's a release when they hear, well, this is not the way it is in my relationship. Um, but again, many women blame themselves. You know, they say, well, I must have done something to deserve this, and, and therefore it's my fault, and it becomes a vicious circle. So it's a really complex issue that needs to be dealt with very, very sensitively. But we all, I think many people in this room will understand that it's not normal for your partner to be texting you all the time, to be asking where you are all the time, to be controlling your movements, to be controlling your friends, not letting you have access to your phone without his supervision, vetting your phone calls, vetting your texts. That is not normal. I think we all recognize that. So there's a, a bit in between where it moves from a loving, healthy relationship into things that are perhaps questionable and then into that very, very clearly not normal phase. Um, and it's, it's about educating young people about that grey area in between when they need to start saying, look, I'm sorry, I'm not putting up with your controlling behaviour any longer. This relationship is over. Or unless you stop behaving like that, this relationship is over. Does that make sense? Yeah, that's really helpful. Any other questions? Yeah, that's, that's a really important question, and thank you for that. I don't know if you all heard it. Um, the question was about what about the abuser? Um, you know, what caused them to be the way they are and do they not also need help and support? And that's a really important question. So at the moment in Northern Ireland, there are a number of programs available for abusers. And in fact, there's a really innovative scheme has started in Derry, London Derry. Uh, and it's called a problem solving court. It's a domestic abuse court. And what happens is the perpetrator comes before the judge Judge Barney McElholm, who's very well known in the Northwest area. Um, the judge will not pass a sentence, but will insist that the perpetrator undergoes a program um, about anger management and about dealing with their violent behavior. And once they've gone through that program, he, he will come in front of the judge again, and the judge will pass a sentence informed by their participation in a program. And generally speaking, it's a lesser sentence. And generally speaking, there are much better outcomes for the victim in, in those instances. So domestic abuse courts, problem-solving courts, deal with the whole problem, not just the instance of assault or, or whatever it is that comes before the court. It's looking at the whole thing in its entirety and trying to find a longer-term solution. Um, so that is one example. There are other programs run by probation board. There are programs run by the NSPCC. Um, but the key to it is that the perpetrator has to confront their own behaviour, admit that what they have done is a crime, and have a desire to move on. And sadly, not all perpetrators are like that. Does that help? Okay, so once again, the, the question was about specifically about teenagers who find it difficult to um, express what they're going through and perhaps even wait until they're well into adulthood before they disclose? Is that the, the crux of your question? Um, well, obviously, if they disclose when they are teenagers, there are child protection um, guidelines that are, are very clear about how you would deal with that. Um, but yes, it, it's very common for people not to disclose until... They are well into their adult years and then to disclose things that happened historically. But those are, those are still crimes. 
um, and there are still things that can be investigated by the police and there may well also be residual child protection issues about who has been the abuser. I mean, um, you know, you could be disclosing something that happened 10 years ago, but the abuser might be in a position where they have um, access to vulnerable adults and children and there may be child protection issues. So it's really important to signpost that person to the PSNI or to other agencies who can give them support. But, I mean, I would always say encourage them to report to the police because that's how you will safeguard other people. Um, but not everybody wants to go to the police. I understand that. And it's really difficult given the, uh, the, the ramifications it might have for your family, for your own children and all of that. So you have to deal with it sensitively, but absolutely get them to, to disclose to an agency that will help safeguard others. And I would always say the police would, be, would do that best. Yes, so the question is about uh, male victims who are abused by female perpetrators. And um, that is very difficult for men to disclose because there is the embarrassment factor about that. That's what you're saying. Um, And I I did say at the start of um, my, my piece that it's not always women who are the victims and it's not always men who are perpetrators. More commonly it is. Um, but more and more now, we see male victims coming forward. And indeed, um, in, it has to be said, in same-sex relationships as well. So um, it, it is quite possible that we'll see more and more an increase of male victims coming forward. Um, and again, it can be violent behaviour and it can be coercive and controlling behaviour by their female partner. So again, uh, like I said earlier, it is about believing the unbelievable and uh, dealing sensitively with allegations against individuals who might well be very well-respected pillars of, uh, of the community, male or female. Um, and uh, understanding the issue is key to this, and understanding the agencies who can help is also key. So don't, don't laugh off. <laughs> That's the worst thing that you can do, um, the possibility that a male could be a victim of domestic abuse equally. I heard recently on the radio actually about one of the first convictions in the UK against a woman for domestic violence and that's a a really positive step you know and hopefully that sort of thing would help uh, other men who are experiencing this to come forward because they know they will be taken seriously. That uh, I think we should probably draw a line there. Thank you so much for your questions. Um, Elaine would you be happy to pray for us? as we close and remember if you do want to talk about something uh, personal or sensitive then Elaine and Fiona are here if you have any more questions about the content of what we've shared then come and speak to Judith or I thank you so much Uh, just before I pray, um, uh, I'd like to uh, draw your attention to the fact that you can feedback and I would encourage you to feedback on this seminar. It's really important for New Horizon to know um, when a seminar uh, is 
what you need to hear, uh, you know, a, a topic that is important in your life. So uh, if you are computer savvy, uh, then um, note, I, I'm not including myself in that. I can manage just. If you're not, there are a few uh, written feedback forms here at the front if you want to come and get one of those, and I'll slip it to you quietly, don't worry. And uh, if not... Uh, if you are happy to go on the computer, it's www.newhorizon.org.uk slash feedback. And if you haven't got a speed memory, I can show you that as well, or it'll be in uh, the little handbook that you received. Um, so uh, if, um, if you would take some time to do that, this is important. This is part of what you can do. Uh, to feed into the important information uh, that you have received. Uh, and um, just to say again, before I pray, remember that the exits are here and here, not here. Okay? So remember, you're exiting out either side, and this time, do take your bags with you. Okay? So let's pray. Oh, Lord, um, we despair about mankind. We despair about the many ways that they find to, to sin. And we include ourselves in that, of course. Father, um, we thank you for the time that Ruth and Judith have taken uh, and the expertise that they've brought to speak about this very challenging topic. One uh, that seems to just be beginning to uh, be dealt with in a broader way. Father, help us to know how to do this in our churches. Help us to provide help. Help us to show our love, the love that we have received from you, uh, and to give that love to men, women, children who are being uh, abused in this way, by domestic abuse. Father, guide us, give us strength, give us knowledge. We've had some of that today. Help us to actually take the courage to look up some things, to see where our local branches are of people who can help these, um, these victims of this abuse. And Father, I pray, if any of them are indeed sitting uh, within hearing distance of me uh, at this time, that you will inspire them to look for the love from the fellowship of their churches and from others who are Christians and to lay down the mantle of guilt that often comes with this form of abuse. Thank you, Lord, for the people who have spoken today and thank you for those who are providing the love and the care. And thank you, Lord, for our brothers and sisters in Christ who are struggling and need your love. Thank you for bringing it to our attention. And I pray now that you'll go with all of us in safety. And Lord, uh, without the fear uh, of that kind of abuse, knowing that we are your children and we seek to follow you unfettered by anyone else. And so, in Jesus' name we part. Amen.